Hello, welcome back. Uh, we're in part two of this episode and we're in the middle of Matthew 3. Prior to this, we read the beginning of Matthew 3 and we talked about John the Baptist preparing the way. We talked about how this new covenant is unfolding. The time is now. The new covenant that was promised is upon us. So we're going to continue on in Matthew, and we're going to pick up in the middle of Matthew chapter 3, um, and here we're going to see John actually baptizing the Messiah, the promised one. Um, so from here, we're going to talk a little bit more about Jesus um, and his ministry, um, but we'll start with Jesus' baptism. So Sam, can you read for us Matthew three thirteen through 17? Sure. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John. To be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Okay, here we have Jesus. Jesus is the one who is promised, the promised Messiah. Um, and Jesus is being baptized by John. And we know that Jesus himself is perfect. He doesn't need to be, he doesn't need to repent, which is something John the Baptist was calling people to do. So the first question that comes to my mind is, why was Jesus baptized? So what do you guys think? Why was Jesus baptized? Yeah, it really is a strange event in some ways, because as we had read earlier in Matthew 3, and as you just said, Sky, John was saying pe to people, repent from your sins. But we know that Jesus was without sin. We learned that in other parts of the scripture. And if we had read these birth narratives that we skipped over in Matthew 1 and 2, very famous Christmas stories and the virgin birth and all those things, we would know that Jesus was specially marked. Was He was a human being, but he was also fully God. And so how would someone who is a human being but fully God and without sin, why in the world would he need to be baptized and enter into some kind of repentant state? So I think part of it is that he is identifying with human beings, with sinners, and he's going to walk this path that human beings should have walked. And part of that was becoming a human being himself, but also he's starting by going through the humbleness, the humility of baptism. And so that when we are baptized, we sort of join with him in that. And so that when he's raised out of the baptism into life, we also will be raised out with him. So I'm thinking of Romans 6, which says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Jesus did this to identify with human beings who are sinful and need to repent. Uh, there also seems to be a little bit of a death and resurrection motif uh, that we're going to see throughout the book of Matthew, uh, right, with uh, other people dying and Jesus bringing them back to life and then Jesus himself died and being uh, and coming back to life. Um, and I guess I just read uh, the post-baptism of Jesus as kind of like the ideal resurrection that 
I don't know, I would like to have of just coming up and seeing the heavens being opened up to me and the spirit of God coming down and, and saying, oh, you are my beloved. <laughs> like that is, that's the ideal. And we kind of see a glimpse of, of Jesus getting to experience that right at the beginning of his uh, ministry on earth. Yeah, that's a great point, Sam. Um, so we've seen and talked about how Jesus is going to identify with sinners, um, that he's going to kind of set this example for us. He's going to be our perfect representative in a way. Um, but what you were touching on, Sam, um, this heaven splitting open, um, this sounds incredible. Um, so what is the significance of the heavens splitting open and God speaking? Let's say more on this. What's the significance? This is really exciting. I know. I always feel like the scripture is a little low key when it describes this, but you're like, wow, if you were really there, I mean, it's only a few sentences, but if you were there and the heavens opened and a dove came down and a voice came from heaven, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Like that needs some epic soundtrack movie music with it. I mean, this is like a big moment. Um, and it is, we talked about how ever since Malachi, but really before that, ever since God has been talking about his promise of coming and sending a savior of his people that will act in this ultimate way, the people of God have been waiting. And so to have the voice from heaven say, this is my beloved son, like here he is, um, it's just an amazing breaking of a long silence and a long waiting. So I just think it marks a really important moment in uh, like initiating this next phase of Jesus's ministry and God's work with his people on earth. And we also see kind of in this moment, this one moment, it's uh, God, the father, God, the spirit and God, the son all present at the same time. And we see this once before uh, in the very beginning of our Bible study journey in Genesis 1 of it seems to be God's word and then God the Father and God's spirit also kind of hovering over the waters. Uh, but we see it here again and there there is a significance to that. And I also just think of um, like the Trinity is present, like you're saying, Sam. And also just imagining like the dove, like the spirit coming and settling upon Jesus. And this is a promise that we had from Isaiah, that the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Like this Messiah would have the spirit of the Lord with him. Um, and it's just beautiful to imagine like the heavens opening, the spirit coming down and like settling upon Jesus. I don't know if words, I don't know if I can convey with words just like what that would have been. I don't think I can even imagine what that fully would have been, um, but it just seems so incredible. Um, and, and this is, like we've said, like the inauguration of Jesus's ministry. Um, this is God um, giving his approval to Jesus, um, God confirming Jesus's ministry. Um, and it's easy for us to read this and be like, oh yeah, of course God would like do something cool for Jesus. Um, but I think just also understanding and remembering that up until this point, Jesus has lived a fairly ordinary life. Um, he was never ordinary because he was always part God and part human, um, and he was without sin. So not ordinary at all, but he lived the life of a carpenter. Um, he wasn't doing his ministry up to this point. He wasn't preaching. Um, no one would have really looked at him and been like, oh yeah, he preaches with authority. or Oh yeah, that's God's son. But 
as he starts his ministry, as he gets baptized, um, this is the beginning. This is where we see the new covenant coming in. So next, we're going to jump into chapter 4 in Matthew. Um, and this is the story that comes right after Jesus' baptism. Um, and it's about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. So here Jesus is handed over to the devil to be tempted. Um, so Anna, can you read this passage for us and we'll just see what we learn. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Wow. Okay, so this is a passage that I love. Um, and there's so many things that we could say about this. Like You could write sermons on one line, and there are multiple lines in here that could just have really good sermons written about it. So let's jump into it and pull it apart some. Um, Sam and Anna, what do you guys notice about Jesus's temptation here? Something that I guess strikes me immediately after reading the story of Jesus's baptism and this beautiful moment um, is that immediately he goes into the wilderness. And it's not, it's not what I would have expected as kind of the jump start to his, his ministry career, but it makes sense um, that he would, he would be like us and kind of face the same struggles that, that we would endure in life. And I think also we talked about Jesus being a representative of humanity in general, but he's also a representative of the nation of Israel and the way that they should have been. And there's a little bit of a microcosm trajectory that he's following. Um, if you remember back to the people of Israel, when they were brought out of Egypt through the Red Sea, then we said they had a marriage ceremony with God where like that covenant, like, all oh, right, you're my people and I'm your God. They had that moment, right? And in a sense... To be really um, parallel here, the Red Sea was like their baptism going through the water. They had the moment where their identity was confirmed, but then they entered 40 years of wandering in the wilderness where they continually sinned against God. They were tempted and they failed over and over again. They complained about the bread that God did provide. They um, complained about his plans for them. They tested him. They tried him all the time. So Jesus is following this pattern. He's baptized in the water. He has a moment where his identity is confirmed and revealed. This is my son. And then he enters into 40 days of testing in the wilderness. This word wilderness, same exact word used in the Old Testament 
for the um, Israelites wandering in the wilderness. But Jesus comes through this period of temptation with flying colors. You know, he passes on all fronts and therefore he's living out who Israel, the servant of God, should have been. And one other thing that strikes me about the the nature of the temptations um, themselves kind of in summary is that um, it reminds me of the very first temptation that Adam and Eve kind of face um, in the Garden of Eden and uh, the devil just twisting, twisting the word of God. And here we see again, he, he quotes scripture and tries to confuse Jesus, um, tries to make assumptions about God and present it to Jesus in a way that is manipulative. Um, but Jesus is able to resist. He is not like Adam and Eve. He overcomes that and is obedient to um, the Lord, even obedient to his father, even though there there is much suffering that he has to endure uh, during these 40 days. Yeah, and I just think about how because he is tempted, but without sin, that that then sets Jesus up to be our Messiah, to be the perfect sacrifice, to be the great high priest. Um, We've been talking about this idea of priesthood, and it just sets Jesus up to be the perfect one who can stand before God, who can intercede on our behalf, who can really connect um, us as a sinful, broken people to a holy God, because he was human, but without sin. So he just stands in a remarkable position to be able to just connect us with God and provide the way of salvation, um, which we've been seeing and talking about all throughout this study and looking out, looking throughout the Bible. Well, and because he is so relatable in these temptations, these are real temptations. Like I want to, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible because it just makes me laugh when it says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I'm always like, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, we all know how we get when we're hungry. Like we lose sight of everything else. We lose perspective. I mean, particularly 40 days of fasting anyway. it And, and we shouldn't think that that didn't operate on Jesus, that he didn't want bread really badly in his human body. He, he needed to eat, but he was able to resist even that kind of temptation and not do something that his father wouldn't want him to do. But he understood that it was hard and difficult, and he he has sympathy with that. So just like Sky's saying, he was made into this perfect priest by understanding um, and experiencing temptation himself in a way that makes him really relatable to, like, literally relating to human beings by going through what we go through, and yet without sin. And Jesus' response to the temptation is just so powerful. Um, and it's incredible, like you were saying, Anna, to see how he responds. Um, and the fact that these temptations were actually temptations for him. Um, it wasn't just a walk in the park. This wasn't easy for him. But he faces these temptations. He overcomes these temptations. Um, and I just love the way that in the midst of temptation, um, he quotes scripture. In the midst of temptation, he speaks God's truth into each temptation, into each situation. Um, Rather than succumbing to the temptation, he just speaks powerfully through it. And that's just incredible to see. And I think that's a beautiful example for us um, and how we ought to face temptation in our own life. There is so much more that we could say about this passage. Um, So, so much more. But we're going to keep going. 
Um, and hopefully we'll be able to talk a little bit more about this passage in Bible study. So just a plug to come to Bible study this week. We'll look forward to continuing this conversation with you. As we continue, we're going to read one more passage in Matthew. Um, this is going to be Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. Um, and here we're just going to see some prophecy being fulfilled. And we're going to see the beginning of Jesus' preaching, even though it's just a short little bit. Uh, so Sam, can you read this passage for us? Mm-hmm. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Wonderful. So this is the very beginning of the start of Jesus's ministry. Um, it's, one of the phrases is, from that time, Jesus began to preach. Um, so we just see the beginning uh, of his ministry here. Um, so what do we notice? What else do we notice just about the on-start of Jesus's ministry? Well, we see more prophecy is being fulfilled in a specific way. The core of this prophecy is saying that something is coming from the land of Galilee, like that this light will come from the land of Galilee. And so this detail that Jesus withdrew into Galilee um, and he sort of came from that area and was known as a Galilean is is a fulfillment of Isaiah 9. So again, like we were talking about with the baptism, with other things, so many elements of Jesus's life fulfill things that came before in the Old Testament. And we also see that Jesus is this light. He is um, a, a dawning in the darkness. I think about the phrase, like, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And maybe for some people, it could be scary to think about, um, uh, yeah, intimidating or uh, terrifying. <laughs> but I think to believers, right, it is such a comfort. It's such a, um, yeah, a, a comforting notion for the people who have been waiting hundreds of years and and sitting in darkness just to know that this light has now appeared and there is hope. And there's really, a, the light is in reference, it says, in the region of the shadow of death. So there is really, that light is is like a promise of life. Um, and again, like we heard before from John the Baptist, the way into this is to repent. It's very simple. It's like one word, just repent from your sins for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this idea that there will be this this new country, really, that you can live in, but it will be a spiritual country that is, well, ultimately will be a physical country, but initially is um, a spiritual kingdom that Jesus is establishing here. And the way in is to repent. And so I think that tie-in is really important. Those are wonderful promises that we have. Um, These words of scripture are just so beautiful to read. And the phrase like the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I just think like, okay, if that isn't the unfolding of a new covenant, um, I don't know what is. So here we see that the Messiah has come. The way has been prepared. The Messiah is baptized. He's confirmed by the father. He's tempted without giving in to sin. And now he's begun to preach. This is really the start of his ministry. Like we said before, like the time is now. The new covenant is upon us. God in the flesh is walking on the earth. 
The Savior has arrived. Light has come into the world and it will dispel the darkness. These things are all so remarkable. We have been looking towards the Messiah. We've been looking towards the one who will be a good king, who will be a perfect priest, who will ultimately be the sacrifice once and for all. All these themes that we've been looking at in the Old Testament and this journey we've been taking through the Bible have all been pointing towards Jesus. And now here in Matthew, we have Jesus. Jesus with the promised new covenant, the new covenant that is now upon us. Um, And we're going to continue to see this covenant unfold as we continue on with the ministry of Jesus. And this new covenant is one that will ultimately be established for all eternity. And it has huge implications for our salvation and our faith. It is the foundation of our Christian faith. So I want to thank you for listening today. I want to thank you for being a part of this journey. Um, And we're going to continue this conversation over the next couple weeks. And we invite you to join us in Bible study this week as we continue to look at and learn from Jesus, as we look at the truths that Jesus speaks um, and how those truths speak to us today. So thanks be to God for promising and delivering a new covenant. And thank you for each of you for setting aside time in your day to listen. Until next time, bye-bye.